if you take man-made chemicals and deposit those in an already flawed vessel, you can't manage it. You're not going to manage it. Your emotions, your feelings, your heart, your mind, it wasn't designed for fentanyl or methamphetamine, you know. So the only answer is no more chemicals. And, and I teach no more chemicals. I teach, you know, you have to get to a point where you're not going to use anymore. Whether it's your anniversary or New Year's Eve, it doesn't matter. You can't use it ever again because when an addict starts using again, let's say they come to treatment and let's say they've been clean for 60 days, if they touch it again, alcohol, any of it, if they touch it again, they've got to start all over. More Americans now die every year from drug overdoses than they do in motor vehicle accidents. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. 50% of people 12 and older have used illicit drugs at least once in their life. 700,000 drug overdose deaths in the U.S. since 2000 are nearing 1 million. The federal budget for drug control in 2020 was $35 billion. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Here on the Bot Radio Network, I'm Byron Tyler. Stacy Dodd is a certified addiction interventionist. He has over 20 years in recovery. And our guest today, Stacy, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Thank you for having me. Quite an honor. Well, I've heard some great things about you. I know you have a plethora of areas you're involved with, your hands are in. We were going to focus on drug addiction and some of the work that you do for that. Also, we want to mention about the Hope Center and a special award that you're about to pick up from the Memphis Grizzlies. That's pretty exciting, too. So why don't we start with that? Tell me about the Hope Center. So the Hope Center is a, is a nonprofit organization uh, based in northwest Mississippi. Uh, we were founded in 2015. Mr. Kenneth McKinney and I uh, have been partners on that for our, um, the entire time since we started. We are a um, silver level affiliate of the Mentor Memphis Grizzlies organization. National Mentoring Program mentors them, equips them, and the Memphis Grizzlies uh, team equips us. So it's a great organization. We focus on uh, mentoring at-risk youth, third through 12th grades. Uh, we do fun events like going bowling and skating, but we've, we focus on one-to-one mentoring and long-term outcomes. That is wonderful, and I'm excited for you. Congratulations on receiving this award and just the work that Hope Center is doing. you got a couple of events coming up, too, one April, one in May. Yes, sir. So what we're doing this year, it's the first. This is the first year we've done this, and we'll continue to do it every year. But we have what we're calling the, the 2024 Youth Leadership Conferences. So it's going to be similar to a John Maxwell Leadership Conference uh, with, with a full meal you know, and, and guest speakers. And we will have, on April 13th, we're doing that in South Haven. So we have the South Haven mayor, uh, the new Sheriff, Sheriff Thomas Tuggle, Pastor Bartholomew Orr, Reggie Davis, which used to be the executive director of the Streets Ministries over here in Memphis. Reggie and Bart are both good friends of mine. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, and then in Hernando, uh, we're doing the same thing. We're going to do one in South Haven, Hernando, Olive Branch, and then Horn Lake. My initial thoughts were to get the you know people that have been born and raised in those cities. And so Darren Musselwhite, Mayor Musselwhite, um, you know, uh, Sheriff Tuggle, the, the, uh, Pastor Orr, these are all people that are you know were born and raised in DeSoto County, and now they're they're top level leadership. And so they're going to invest in our kids, and we're, and we're going to have sixth through twelfth graders, and and we're going to do a leadership conference and we're going to have a served meal. We're going to have a really nice, uh, it's going to be in the Lander Center and then also at 1 Memphis Street down in Hernando. Stacey, this is wonderful. Investing in our youth and leadership especially is, I think, well needed. These young people, I think, are looking for opportunities. And so this is a great thing that Hope Center is doing. Give us some of your backstory. Where did you grow up? What was family life like for you? What road led you to become involved with addiction? 
Glad you asked. <laughs> so I was born up in Missouri, and my mom and dad got divorced when I was two, through a series of events. And uh, my mom moved away, and I ended up in South Arkansas, um, a little town called Dermot on the other side of Greenville. And uh, my friend's dad had a big 2,000-acre farm, and so they had on boats and coon dogs and tractors and shotguns. And, <laughs> and I started going out there on the weekends, and they taught me how to hunt and fish. You know, my dad wasn't there at that time. Anyway, through a series of events, moved around a little bit more, and I started experimenting with drugs and alcohol at a very young age. By the age of 33, I went back to live with my dad in my teenage years in Joplin, Missouri. My dad had remarried and had a home and a structured life. And and I went back to Joplin there, and, and I had a good teenage years there, you know, and went to Parkwood High School and got a lot of great friends. The drug use got worse, and uh, ended up being a homeless addict. A family tried to help me. They wanted to help me. They really didn't know how to help me. Uh, my mom was a nurse anesthetist. You know, she was educated and she had the, the funds to help me. She, she didn't know how to help me. So they sent me to Memphis here. Uh, and then late in the early 90s, I had a really bad addiction in downtown Memphis, a place called Dixie Homes in the Midtown area. And I got really bad. And so my family, uh, you know, shipped me back to Missouri. Uh, I wasn't as bad in Missouri. So I'm kind of getting moved around, but I'm not really fixing anything. You said 33 years old, you were a homeless drug addict. Yes. So were you living on the streets? Yes. Yes. Uh, it didn't start that way. It started kind of going from friend's house to friend's house, you know, and then by the end I was living in the woods, abandoned houses. I came here to Memphis and like I said, I was down and around Midtown, got really bad, addicted here. So my family was trying to save my life. And, and so they moved me back to Missouri. And when I went back there, you know, I went back to the only life I knew, which was drugs and that kind of culture. My dad passed away, really hurt me bad. You know, he ended up being my best friend later in life and just really um, taught me unconditional love and those things. But anyway, I ended up living in the woods and I was a homeless addict and ended up um, get, getting ar arrested and started getting in some trouble. Ended up going to a program, you know, ended up hitting a pretty bad rock bottom and, and yeah. went to a place for 14 months and, and been clean 23 years now. Wow. So survival for you. How did you survive in the woods? One thing about the woods is if you go deeper in the woods, it gets warm. A lot of people don't know that. I mean, it's cold on the edge, but when you keep going, it's, you know, it's pretty much, you know, normal. The woods are like a shelter. And there were different things out there, like old truck beds. And, and I actually went back and took pictures of those. And then I wrote a couple of books. My first book is called Backpack to the Burbs. And it tells a story about me being on my hometown and being ashamed and like walking down the streets. And I wouldn't even look over at traffic because I didn't want to see my friends. I didn't want anybody to see me. I was really humiliated. And I was ashamed. I just didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know there were programs. I, I didn't know Christ at that time. The only thing I knew it at that time in my life was vacation Bible school, the stories of Jonah and the whale and Moses and, you know, the, the ark. But I had no idea what the Bible was. I had no idea what the gospel was. I had no idea who Jesus was. I just knew the little stories and some character named God. I hit a really bad rock bottom. And when I did, my mom quit enabling me. When she did, I, I hit even a harder rock bottom. And I went to a, a institutionalized uh, six-month cognitive behavioral program, a therapeutic community. Gave my life to Christ, uh, got baptized, uh, and like I said, been clean 23 years. Jesus set me free. That is beautiful, Stacy. When you mentioned that your mom quit enabling you, mm -hmm. how was she doing that? It started out when I was a kid. You know, she was a single mom. She was a nurse anesthetist, so she was always on call at the hospitals doing surgeries and things like that. And and uh, she never used or drank or anything. My mom was never did anything like that. She was also good with the switch in the belt. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. But anyway, when I was a kid, she would leave like $40 on the table, you know, like for food or snacks or whatever. And, you know, so, so at a very young age, that was, you know, cigarette money and different things like that. And, you know, by the time I was 33 and I was really bad addicted, I mean, she would send me a couple hundred, two or $300 every 
every week or two and in the mail. You know how addicts are and manipulating and, and um, you know, survival mode. And so uh, she went to a meeting one day in Memphis and got lost and ended up at another meeting. Downtown Memphis, her and my stepdad, they were trying to help, trying to figure out what to do. And uh, this group uh, stopped their group that night and told my parents their stories. And I got a call at 8 a.m. sharp saying, don't ever call me again. Ask me for any money. <laughs> and she had figured out my game. But it was then that God began to work. And it was then that my life began to change. It just wasn't the route that I would have chosen. That really was tough love, but it's something that, and we might have listeners right now, Stacey, that have Mm -hmm. got a family member, a loved one in that same situation, and they desperately want to see them to get out and get help. Mm -hmm. And they might not realize that they are actually enabling them by maybe giving them shelter, providing some food and money. Sometimes you just got to stop it all, right? That's right. Yeah. uh, Anything you do, if if a person's using um, drugs, chemicals, or alcohol, a lot of people think alcohol is is not included. Alcohol is one of the worst uh, when people think they're okay when they're not. If you're paying for their cell phone, if you're paying for their rent, if you're paying for things that enable them to not have to pay for it, then they can use their money on the chemicals and the drugs and, and maintaining that lifestyle. And so if a person's addicted and are drinking alcohol, you know, regularly alcoholic, they're not going to quit on their own. If they get to make the decisions and they get to call the shots, they're always going to make the decisions so they can keep using, right? Yeah. And many times families, if there's any families listening, just just remember that people that are in active addiction and alcoholism, they don't listen to their family. You're the last person they're going to listen to. Now, you're not doing anything wrong. But a lot of times that's where my interventionist work comes in. You know, I'm trained and I've also know how to talk to them. I can talk them into coming to treatment. I mean, many times I can give them a copy of my book. I make friends with them. I don't tell them what they're doing wrong. But I have some very um, proven techniques of getting them to realize that they need help and that we're here to love them and care for them. But I can also help families with enabling because sometimes they need a moms are the worst. Um, My mom, the reason I know is because my mom was, but I, I get about 10 or 20 calls a day for people seeking help for treatment. And many times the family is the problem. Are there certain personality traits that someone that struggles with an addiction may have that makes them prone to abuse? Not working. Uh, That's one of the the behaviors that you will notice. A lot of them don't want to work. Whenever you offer them help, they have every excuse not to come. Um, Blame shifting, you know, blaming other people for their problems. Uh, When I teach on addiction at the recovery center or in the jail, which I do a few times a week, there comes a time in our life where it doesn't matter whose fault it is anymore. Mm. A lot of people focus on, you know, well, I was abused as a child. Or like I could say, my dad wasn't there when I was young. But there comes a time in our life where we don't really need to focus on whose fault it is right now. We need to fix it. We can discuss whose fault it was later when we write a book or tell our testimony and things like that. But many people get that victim mentality, and that's an excuse to keep using. A learned tactic, not really intentionally. Uh, I don't think they intentionally do that, but they, you know, end up, I'm the victim. You know, it, it's not my fault. It's my family's fault or it's, it's my spouse's fault. Or, you know, there's always the blame. Fentanyl, Schedule II controlled substance, similar to morphine, it's about 100 times more potent. Drug trafficking organizations typically distribute fentanyl by the kilogram. Understand that one kilogram of fentanyl has the potential to kill 500,000 people. That is crazy, Stacy. Mm-hmm. But this has become an epidemic in our country. It is. The sad thing about all of this is that whenever a drug user is using drugs, Okay, so let's just say it's it's methamphetamine or cocaine or fentanyl. It comes in a powder form. When you look at it, you can't tell how much fentanyl is in there, if any. So when you're out on the streets buying drugs and stuff, you're buying a powder form, right? You're buying a bag with some powder in it, right? You never know what's in there. 
It is so sad. I've heard stories about people that, you know, that they take a buddy with them and they say, hey, I need you to come with me because I'm going to use and I may die. So, so they know that they may die, but they still go use. And, and once they get, you know, addicted to it, many times it starts out with opioids. They get prescribed it from the doctor, or whatever, for pain or, you know, they break an arm or whatever. And then they run out of the prescription or they can't get the prescription pills anymore. So the next best thing is heroin, yeah. right? And so we've evolved from heroin and now down to fentanyl. And it's even getting worse. There's new stuff out on the streets now that is even worse than fentanyl. Why can't a drug addict just quit on their own? That's a good question. You know, I teach on that too. I teach on free will. So many people think that they're just choosing to do it. Okay. Illustration I like to give is I haven't had any drugs in my system for 23 years. If I was to go get some drugs tonight, I have no drugs in my system influencing my decisions. I know right from wrong. I've tasted the consequences and I'm an adult. Okay. So if I use tonight, that's Stacey Dodd's fault. It's not anyone else's fault. It's not the sheriff's fault. It's not my drug dealer's fault. It's not society's fault. It's my fault alone. But once you touch those chemicals, your free will is annihilated and you're going to do what those chemicals are designed to make you do. I'm trying to get them to understand that they can't win. It's an unwinnable battle. Uh, And it also, it doesn't matter how, how good looking you are, how smart you are, how rich you are. If you start using those chemicals, you're going to do the same things that the other humans that do those chemicals. From a Christian standpoint, you know, we all have sin. We all have anger and pride and jealousy and and all these things, right? If you take man-made chemicals and deposit those in an already flawed vessel, you can't manage it. You're not going to manage it. Your emotions, your feelings, your heart, your mind, it wasn't designed for fentanyl Mm. or methamphetamine, you know? So the only answer is no more chemicals. And and I teach no more chemicals. I teach, you know, you have to get to a point to where you're not going to use anymore. Whether it's your anniversary or New Year's Eve, it doesn't matter. You can't use ever again because when an addict starts using again, let's say they come to treatment and let's say they've been clean for 60 days. If they touch it again, alcohol, any of it, if they touch it again, they've got to start all over. The resources run out. Insurance runs out. Family can't do it anymore. Finances, you know, looks fade. I mean, everything fades and it's all just a temporary fix. And so, you know, the answer is is simple answer, but it's really hard to get someone to understand that and, and actually to be able to do it. What about Celebrate Recovery? I know that program has launched in many churches, even in our area that we're talking to right now. How does it differ from programs like AA or other drug rehab programs? So in my opinion... I've been in Christ-centered recovery for 23 years. I'm a big fan of Christ-centered recovery. To me, the main difference is it's based on scriptures. It's based on God's word. It's fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what that means is if you have 50 people in your Celebrate Recovery group and they're born again believers, the Holy Spirit is strong there. That brings everything to life. We're not just telling stories. We're not just, you know, telling more stories like what we've been through. We, we do testimonies. We do lessons. We have step study groups that meet one night a week for a year. You know, it's a powerful program. And it helps for every hurt, habit, and hang-up. So, so when you're talking about Celebrate Recovery, it helps for not only uh, drugs, alcohol, it helps for abuse. It helps for gambling, anger, grief, divorce, anything, because God had it figured out long ago. God yes. had all this stuff figured out long ago. And so Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered 12 steps and the eight principles, which is the eight Beatitudes that Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. So that's what it's powered by. And the DNA of Celebrate Recovery is that Jesus is Lord. Stacy, without compromising the confidentiality of some of your clients that you've worked with, can you share some success stories of those you've helped and you've seen them get on the other side of their addiction? 
Yeah. So I, I've got hundreds of stories. Okay. And I love, these are my favorite things. And so I'll give you a story just the other day. So, so I do the jail ministry with Celebrate Recovery. I work at Vertava Health, which is acquired by Bradford. Now there was an announcement made on social media a few weeks ago, but we are a Bradford Health Services. Uh, and we're real proud of that. Really excited about the future for Vertava Health out in South Haven. Uh, we have the detox and the residential treatment center, uh, inpatient, outpatient. Uh, we all, it's a great program. I've been with that organization for nine years. We have about 180 patients a day. So last week, to tell the story, last week I was in the jail ministering to a group of men and I met a young man and started talking to his family on the outside. Immediately when he got out of jail, I was able to get him into our recovery program. And so he came to the outpatient program and where he had therapists and, and clinicians and he's getting good care. He's getting good clinical care. At the same time, I, I was able to uh, take him to celebrate recovery at our church. Then I also took him to church yesterday. And so he's back with his family. He has hope. He has a future. He, he's starting to follow Christ now. When I'm in South Haven in Soto County and I'm going about my daily life, you know, visiting accounts and doing the things that I do, I encounter people all of the time that came through our program that are going to celebrate recovery. They're sharing their testimonies. They're leading. They're volunteering at church. Uh, they have great jobs. They, when they see me, they just arms open and they just come at me because they're so happy. And, you know, I don't fix people. Only God can fix people, I believe. But but he uses us and he uses our ministries and he uses our churches. And so in DeSoto County and also in Memphis, we have a huge recovery community. Everybody from the sheriff to the mayors, and I'm talking all of them, all of the mayors, all of the sheriffs, all of the chambers of commerce, support us and they support our mission, you know, even to the point to where like they all know my story. And I was man of the year last year for South Haven. Congratulations. To the South Haven Chamber of Commerce, you know, I mean, that's a big thing. And not any of this is about me, not one bit of it, but it is about what God can do with someone that surrenders to him. You know, I never knew God existed before. I never knew there was another life available because no one had ever told me. But man, it, it's the greatest life ever. And I believe that whenever you give your life to Christ, his love begins flowing through you into this universe. And, and that's the way it happens. And I also believe that there's no force on the universe that can deliver what the Holy Spirit delivers, the, the passion, the fire, the yes. energy, the discernment, the conviction. I mean, yeah. everything that the Holy Spirit does is what we need. And, and people in recovery they need extra because they're trying to rebuild from nothing many times and yep. they're heartbroken and they're sad because they've let themselves down. Uh, when you read my book on the back cover, it talks about how I had, had felt like I had failed God. I felt like I failed my family and, and I was devastated. But, but Christ came in and, and adopted me and changed all that. Does your family ever see that difference? Ever see that change? Uh, my dad never got to see me clean. He would come and find me when I was on the streets and I was in really bad shape and he never gave up on me, but he never got to see me clean. He passed away before I got clean, but he did tell my family, some of my member, family members that he knew I was going to be okay. I don't know how he knew that because it sure didn't look like it. Um, but my mom did get to see me clean. I actually, uh, when I got out of my program, I came to Memphis and my mom gave me one last chance that she shouldn't have. And that's what moms do. <laughs> uh, this time there was no money involved. It's just a place to lay my head and a ride to work. And uh, I, I stayed with her for about four years, uh, her and my stepdad here in Memphis. And they actually lived over by, behind St. Francis uh, after Midtown. And then I got to move my mom in. I got married in South Haven, built a house and moved my parents in and got to feed and take care of my mom for 14 months. She had dementia and Parkinson's. So I got to give her a little bit back, but she did get my 10 year chip at the Celebrate Recovery meeting. And she actually fell asleep at the table right after that. So <laughs> my mom did get to see it. And, and she would tell you that nothing, uh, nothing worked besides the route that God took me down. Stacy, what a beautiful story. God's transforming power again through the gospel, as you mentioned, through what Jesus can do. What has God taught you, Stacy, through serving people with drug addictions? I could talk all day about that. What he's taught me is, is, first of all, we don't give up on people. 
I don't give up on people. I, I was inside the facility as a director um, for about seven years, and, and I would go chase them down the street and bring them back. I would go get them at two in the morning and bring them back. I don't give up on people. Sometimes families call me and, and they can't do it anymore, but we're still not giving up. They may give up, but I'm not giving up. It's also a combined approach. Everything's different for everybody. I mean, if I encounter someone and they don't believe in Jesus and they don't believe, you know, that's fine. I'm not going to try to convince them. I'm not going to tell them they're wrong. I'm just going to keep on loving them and let them see the love of Christ in action. And God will reveal himself to them. But when it comes to chemical addiction, and I didn't believe this when I first started working at the recovery center, I didn't know how my faith was going to fit in with a clinical program. Over the years, God's taught me a lot of things about chemical addiction and about human beings. So I believe uh, when a person is severely addicted, long-term addiction, whether it's fentanyl or meth or alcohol, whatever it may be, they need to come to a treatment program where they have medical care when they walk in the building. So the nurses need to do an assessment. They have to have a doctor evaluating them, the meds they're taking. That's first. So when they show up at our facility, medical, they go right into a nurse's station and they are they are fully cared for. Right. And then right. the MD gets involved. At that point, they go usually go into detox. And, and then we then after they're medically okay, everything's good, they're, they're starting to feel better. Then we start the clinical aspect of the program where they're going to groups. They have a master level therapist. Mm. Uh, we teach dialectical behavioral therapy, uh, motivational interviewing. We do um, MAT, which is medicated assisted treatment, if they need it. And then one of the things we also do is, is the aftercare part. So when someone admits to our program, they are part of our alumni family right then. That never ends. So we do Zoom calls. We do Zoom calls every day. I was on one this morning called Coffee Talk. I do one on Wednesday nights, which is a Celebrate Recovery, Christ-centered Zoom call. So our graduates across the country, they sign into the Zoom, and I'm sitting at a table, and I, some of our current patients are there, and we do Christ-centered recovery. Uh, we do AA calls. We do veteran calls. We treat a lot of veterans. We do just Coffee Talk, Motivation Monday. But, but they can join meetings walking down the street in their car, wherever they are for the rest of their life, they have meetings that, that, that come through our program. So you have the clinical aspect. First of all, you have the, we have to get them there. And that's a lot of work. Yeah. Just getting them in is a lot of work a lot of times. Then we have the medical aspect. So nurses, doctors, I mean, night nurse practitioners, you know, psych nurse practitioners, um, EMDR therapy for mm-hmm. trauma. We do all of that. They go into the clinical programming. So, so we, do, we do church. We do uh, AANA. We do expressive art therapy. They love art therapy. Uh, we do yoga. Uh, we do music. We do church. Like I said, Celebrate Recovery. We have Celebrate Recovery groups. We have Smart Recovery. So when it comes to our program, they don't have to go to church if they don't want to. It's an elective, right? If they want to, they can go. We give them We give them Bibles. I actually baptized over 800 of them in the pool back there over the years <laughs> when I was at the campus. And they love it. I mean, they, they love it. They get connected back to Christ. Many times they've been in church with a grandma or a mom. You know, as kids, yeah. and now they went down a bad road, and they've really they're they're devastated many times emotionally and spiritually, and so we offer that to them. Uh, if they want a Bible, we're gonna give them a Bible. If, if they want, you know, if they I give them copies of my book, they love my book, and we just love on them and care for them. We help them get jobs. I mean, we help them the full person. The days of thirty days, we'll see you later. That that's long gone. Recovery is yeah. totally different now. Yeah. It's a long-term commitment. I mean, you've got it's to— lifetime. And it can be a messy situation, obviously, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You step into some messy things mm-hmm. when you're trying to help someone get out of an addiction. So how can the church better serve people in our community battling drug addiction? So they need a partner with their local recovery centers. That's one thing they can do. They need a partner with their local jails. Uh, I go to a wonderful church in South Haven. It's called South Point Church. 
so I do church in the jail, Soto County Jail on Sunday mornings at 11. So I take the South Point message. My pastor sends us the message and we take his message into the jail on Sunday mornings. On Thursday nights, we take Celebrate Recovery inside into that same jail. Those Celebrate Recovery groups are under the umbrella of South Point Church, right? And so at Vertava, which is Bradford now, we take our patients to Celebrate Recovery at the church on Thursday nights when they get to a certain level, right? right? And then when they get into outpatient, when, when they're moving into sober living homes and they're moving out into the community, they go to South Point Church and <laughs> South Point Church welcomes them in like, like they're our own family and they feel comfortable there. They feel welcome there. And so our church is a place where you can, you can belong before you believe. And it's magical. I mean, they're feeling love. They're around other people that aren't judging them, that aren't looking down on them, that, that don't think their mistakes, you know, create their value. And pretty soon they're serving, pretty soon they're getting jobs, pretty soon, I mean, they're actually working in the community, providing employment. You know, a lot of places are having a hard time finding yeah. employees. Yeah. And some of the people that come through our program are some of the best employees you will ever find. Wow. I mean, they are hard workers, they're passionate, they're thankful for a second chance. And um, But the church is, is critical to that. And so let's just say you have a church in, let's just say in, um, in Memphis, that church needs to find a recovery center, either a 501 or, an, or a for-profit recovery center. They need to start partnering with them and then get, get to the closest jail and start partnering and helping these individuals, helping them reach their full potential. Because, you know, if you think about it, they're all someone's child. Every person in jail, every person in recovery, every person addicted, they are all someone's child, and especially they're God's children. Stacy, how can someone contact you that has a loved one or a friend needing help with an addiction? So um, they can reach out to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 901-484-8429. They can also go to my website. It's called stacydodd.com. And on my website, it's a simple website, but it's stacydodd.com. And you can read all about addiction. You can read about intervention, what an intervention is. You can read about uh, enabling. You can read about everything at my website. Your books are there too? My books are there too. Okay. I have my first book was called Backpack to the Burbs. I have a man, uh, Coach Camp, out in Soto County. He's actually writing the screenplay for my movie. (laughs) So it's going to be a movie. And I'm really excited about that. And and God just sent him right to us. And uh, the second book is called Outcast to Executive. So it talks about me going from addiction uh, into being a CEO and being a, a very vice president. and the challenges that I faced along the way. Stacey Dodd, God bless you, my dear brother. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I know helping our listeners that might have a loved one or a friend who is struggling with addiction, or maybe someone themselves listening is struggling with addiction and needs that number, 901-484-8429 or stacydodd.com, the website. But thank you so much for joining Bot Radio today here on Mid-South Viewpoint. Thank you for having me. What an honor. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I do appreciate you stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.